Except me, Daniel, still here, still narrating. One man, one mission, one computer. Actually, two computers. I also have a laptop, but I don't use it for this project. Anyway, thanks so much for joining me on book three of The Animorphs and season three of Audiomorphs. I'm going to let you get right into the story uh, here in just a sec, but before that, if you want to hear more of this show, visit audiomorphs.podbean.com. That's audiomorphs.podbean.com. If you'd like to get in contact with me, send me a question, a comment, a song suggestion for the next book. I'm going to need one of those probably, or you'll just hear more of my music. Like, this, not my music, but like music I like. Uh, like this intro song by Ilian called Birdie. I thought it was appropriate. Anyway, to reach me, you can visit audiomorphscast.tumblr.com or audiomorphscast at gmail.com. That's all I have for you this week, and I will let you get right into it now. Thanks for listening. Book 3. The Encounter. Chapter 1. My name is Tobias, a freak of nature. One of a kind. I won't tell you my last name. I can't tell you my last name. Or the name of the city where I live. I want to tell you everything, but I can't give any clues to my true identity or the identity of the others. Everything I will tell you is true. I know it's going to seem unbelievable, but believe it anyway. I am Tobias. I am a normal kid, I guess. Or used to be. I used to do okay in school. Not great, but not bad either. Just okay. I guess I was a dweeb, kind of. Big, but not big enough to keep from getting picked on. I had blonde hair, kind of wild because I could never get it to look right. My eyes were... What color were my eyes? It's only been a few weeks, and already I'm forgetting things about being human. I guess it doesn't matter anyway. My eyes now are golden brown. I have eyes that look fierce and angry all the time. I'm not always fierce or angry, but I look that way. One afternoon, I was riding the thermals, the upswelling of hot air. I rode them way up into the sky. The bottoms of low clouds, heavy with moisture, scudded just a few feet above me. I looked down and focused my laser-like eyes. With my fierce eyes, I could still read. I hadn't forgotten how to do that. I could see the big red and white sign that said, Dylan Dan Hawks Used Cars. I pressed my wings back, closer to my body, and began to fall. Down, down, down. Faster, faster. I fell through the warm early evening air like a rock, like an artillery shell falling toward its target. 
All was silent except the sound of the air rushing over the top of my wings. The ground came up at me. It came up like it was trying to hit me. I saw the cage. It was no more than three feet on each side. In the cage was a hawk. A red tail. Like me. The man was close by. I recognized him because I had seen him on his TV commercials. He was dealing Dan Hawk. He owned the car dealership. He was the one holding the hawk prisoner. She was a mascot. On the commercials, he called her Price Cut Polly. It made me sick. It made me furious. I saw the camera. There were three guys standing around. They would be shooting a live commercial soon. I didn't care. Deal and Dan went to the hawk's cage to feed her. It was locked with a bike-style combination lock. Four numbers. I could see them as he turned the combination. Eight, one, two, five. I was 200 yards up, plummeting to the earth at 70 miles an hour, but I could see the numbers as he turned them, and the human part of me, Tobias, could remember. He opened the cage and tossed in some food, then he closed it again and spun the lock. Brilliant lights came on, he was starting the commercial. It would be live on TV all over the area. What I was planning was insane, that's what Marco would have said, it was one of his favorite words. Insane. I didn't care. A hawk was in a tiny cage, being used as a prop for some low-life car dealer. That wasn't going to go on, not if I could help it. I screamed. Twenty feet from the ground, I opened my wings. The strain was terrible. I absorbed most of the momentum and used the rest for speed. I shot across the parked cars to the cage. I landed on the bars and grabbed on with my talons. I used the hook of my deadly sharp beak to click the first number into place. Hey, what the? Someone yelled. The bright TV light focused right on me. Well, ladies and gentlemen in TV land, Deal and Dan yapped in surprise. I guess we have a bird trying to break into our price-cut Polly's cage. Boys, you better shoo him away. Yeah, right. Shoo me, I thought. I clicked the second number. There were people coming for me. I saw a mechanic swinging a long steel wrench, but I wasn't going to leave without freeing this bird. Hawks do not belong in cages. Hawks belong in the sky. But they were all around me. Get him, Earl! Hit that thing! Look out for that beak of his! Maybe he's got rabies! Wham! The mechanic swung his wrench. It barely missed my head. I was dead if I didn't get some help. Fast. Rachel? I cried silently with my mind. Rachel? Now would be a good time. Sorry, I missed the first bus. I just got here. Her voice was in my head. We call it thought speak. It's something we can do when we morph. I breathed a sigh of relief. Help was on the way. (coughs) What in the world was... The mechanic cried. I knew what it was. It was Rachel. Pretty, blonde Rachel. Although right at the moment, she wasn't pretty. Impressive, but not pretty. Boom! Crunch! Oh. My. Lord! Dale and Dan gasped. Forget the bird! There's an elephant stomping over the convertibles! I would have smiled if I had a mouth. 
I finished turning the lock. I yanked open the cage door. The hawk was wary. She was a true hawk, with only a hawk's mind and instincts to guide her. But she did know an open path to the sky when she saw one. Out she came, in a rush of gray and brown and white feathers. She didn't know that I had freed her. That kind of concept was beyond her thinking, and she felt no gratitude. But she flapped her wings and rose into the air. Free. And right then, I had the strangest feeling. Like I should go with her. Like I should be with her. Can we get out of here now? Rachel asked. She was bellowing loudly, tossing her big trunk around and stomping various cars. Having a very good time, by elephant standards. But it was time for us to leave. For Rachel to resume her human form. I looked up again. I saw the sunlight shine through the hawk's red tail. She flew toward the setting sun. Chapter 2 I hear sirens, I said urgently. I hear them too, Rachel snapped. I have ears the size of quilts. Think I can't hear them? I'm morphing as fast as I can. I just hope they're real cops, not controllers. We had reached a patch of woods behind Deal and Dan's car dealership. It was really just a few scruffy trees between the car place and a convenience store. I watched from a low tree branch as Rachel morphed back to human again. If you've never seen someone morph, you have no idea how incredibly weird it is. When she began, she was a full-grown African elephant, ten feet tall, almost twice that from head to tail. She weighed at least 6,000 pounds. I say at least because we've never exactly tried to stick her on the bathroom scale. She had two curved tusks, each about as long as a child, and a trunk that dragged on the ground when she walked and could pick up a big, slashing, yelling, dangerously angry hork warrior and throw him twenty feet. I'd seen her do it. Tobias, could you at least have waited till he was done broadcasting that commercial? Thousands of people saw that on TV. Thousands! Most people will figure it was some kind of stunt or trick, I said. Most people, maybe, but not controllers. Any controller who happened to be watching will guess right away that we were not just animals. Controllers. There's a word you need to know. A controller is anyone with a yerk in his head. Yerks are alien parasites. They are evil little slugs who live in the bodies of other species and enslave them. All the hork are controllers. So are the taxons. So are more and more humans. Human controllers. As I watched, Rachel began to shrink. The ropey tail was sucked up like a piece of spaghetti. Her trunk grew smaller. Blonde hair began to sprout from her massive gray forehead. Her eyes wandered across her face toward the middle. The vast leathery ears became pink and small and perfectly formed. The others are going to ream us out big time, aren't they? I said. Oh yes, I think we can count on that. It was my idea. I'll take the blame. Oh, shut up, Tobias. Stop being all noble. Besides, it was amazing fun to stomp those cars. She was small enough now that she could stand on her hind legs. As she did, her front legs grew smooth and human. Her back legs lost their clunkiness and became her own long, cultish legs. Her morphing clothes, a skin-tight black leotard, emerged. 
The tusks slooped back into her mouth and divided into sparkling teeth. She was a very pretty girl. Beautiful, even, except that she had a two-foot-long gray nose. At last, the trunk seemed to roll up and become a regular nose. She was a girl again, barefoot because no one had figured out how to morph shoes. Her mouth was back to normal. She spoke in her normal voice, no longer in my head. Thought speech is only for morphs. Okay, I'm back. Let's bail. The siren sounds were coming even closer. Head for the convenience store. I'll go up and look around. I hope they have some flip-flops for sale in there, Rachel grumbled. The shoe situation is a pain. The elephant was gone. The girl had emerged. See? I told you it would be hard to believe. He had begun at a deserted construction site when we had found the crashed spaceship of an Andalite prince. He was the last surviving Andalite in our solar system. He and his fellow Andalites had fought a great battle to drive away the Yurk mothership. They had fought and lost. And now the Yurks are among us, and they are now trying to enslave the human race. Before he died at the hands of the Yurk leader, a terrible creature called Visser III, the Andalite gave us a great gift and a great curse. The gift was the power to morph, to absorb the DNA of any living animal and to become that animal. Never before had anyone but the Andalites themselves been given the power to morph. It meant a life of secrets, of terrible danger. The Yurks think we are a small band of escaped Andalites. They know that morphs had attacked their Yurk pool. They know that morphs had even infiltrated the home of one of their most important controllers, Chapman, but they don't know that we are just five normal human kids who'd been walking home from the mall one night. Visser Three wants us caught or dead. Visser Three usually gets what he wants. But I was glad to fight the Yurks. Maybe I just had less to lose than the others. Or maybe something about that lonely, defeated, yet courageous Andalite prince touched me so deeply that I could never regret fighting to settle the score. But there had been a price to pay. You see, there is a limit on the power to morph. You must never remain in a morph for more than two hours. If you do, you are trapped. Forever. And that is the curse of the Andalite's gift. That is why, when Rachel returned to her human body, I didn't. It would take Rachel a while to get home on the bus. I traveled a little faster so I had time to kill. The sun was setting, and in my mind, I could still picture the freed hawk heading into the sun. I hoped she had found a nice patch of forest to spend the night. That's what a red tail likes, a nice tree branch with a clear view of a meadow full of little mice and rats and shrews and voles as they scurry below. That's how we, they, hunt. I headed toward the tall buildings of downtown, I caught a beautiful thermal that billowed up the face of some skyscrapers. A thermal is like a big bubble of warm air. It rises beneath your wings and makes it effortless to just go soaring up and up. I caught the thermal and went shooting up the side of the skyscraper like I was riding an elevator. A lot of the offices were empty since it was Saturday. But around the 60th floor, I saw an old man looking out the window. Maybe he was some big, important businessman. I don't know. But when he saw me, he smiled. He watched me soar up and away, 
and I knew he was jealous. I was half a mile up when I finally turned away from the sun and headed toward Rachel's house. The sun was going down. The moon just peeked over the rim of the world. And then I felt... I don't know how to describe it. It was in the air above me. Huge. Fast. Bigger than any jet. I looked up, but there was nothing there. And yet, I felt it in my heart. I knew it was up there, coming toward me, perhaps a mile higher than me. I focused all the power of my hawk's eyes on the sky. A ripple. That's what it was. A ripple. Like the ripples you make throwing a stone into a calm pond. The faint twilight stars flickered as it passed by. The sun's light bent. And just for a split second, I was sure I could see... something. But no. No, it was gone. If it had ever really been there. I tried to follow the hole in the sky, but it was moving too fast. I tried to see which way it was going, and where it had come from. It seemed to be moving away from the mountains and picking up speed, but I lost it over the suburbs as it accelerated away. I flew on to Rachel's house. I watched as she got off the bus far below me. The others, Jake, Marco, and Cassie, were all up in her room, waiting for us. I was not surprised. Hey, Rachel, I said, floating above her. She could only wave up at me. You can hear thought speech when you're human, but you can't make thought speech. I predict Marco's first words will be, Are you insane? I told Rachel. She gave me a little wink. Rachel went in through the front door. I flew in an open window. There we were, all together, the five of us. The Animorphs. The other three of us must have seen the commercial and were not at all happy. Marco started the conversation. Are you insane? He said. <laughs>